This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right, again, good morning. This morning we finally arrive at Christmas in Luke. We have spent the previous uh, three Sundays of Advent uh, looking at the parallel accounts of Jesus and John the Baptist in the first chapter of Luke. So we consider the conception and the pregnancy of Mary. We consider the conception and the pregnancy of Elizabeth and the subsequent birth of John. And so finally, uh, today we arrive at Luke's account of Jesus' birth. We've arrived at Christmas uh, in the Bible. Uh, Verse 7 of your text in chapter 2, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. And then verse 11, The angel's announcement uh, to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is is Christ the Lord. So, in his account of Jesus' birth, uh, Luke tells us three things about Christmas. And in a shorter sermon than normal, uh, let's consider the historicity of Christmas, the suffering at Christmas, and the good news from Christmas. The historicity of Christmas, the suffering at Christmas, and the good news from Christmas. If you have your worship folder, uh, the text is provided for you there. You'll want to follow along as we study this text together. First, uh, the historicity of Christmas. Look at verses 1 and 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So in chapter 2, Luke is going to write that God took on skin, that God became a human, that in fact God became a newborn baby boy. And Luke is telling us from the beginning that he considers his writings to be history. They're not a fable, nor a legend, nor a myth. If you'll remember the the first words of Luke's gospel, verses 1 through 4, 
in chapter 1, Luke in his letter uh, to Theophilus, in this book, in this gospel, he says that, that what he is about to say to Theophilus is a delineation of historic realities. That he recorded these things from eyewitnesses. That he wrote all of them in an orderly fashion. And so in verses 1 and 2 of our text, Luke places the story of Jesus' birth into well-known history. Uh, data from Roman historians and other sources will clearly show you that Caesar Augustus made a number of historic reforms during his rule and reign as the emperor from about 27 BC to 14 AD. That, that Caesar, based on military and fiscal concerns, called for and oversaw various types of registrations or censuses during his reign. And further, if you're a student of history, you'll know that Quirinius, who was known to be an incredible administrator, he was in and around Judea, which is the area that the, that the Romans called Syria in verse 2 in our text, that he was in and around Judea during the time of Jesus' birth. And so Luke is saying in verses 1 and 2, I'm, a write, I'm about to write to you about the birth of God. It's the greatest story ever. He does not start out by saying in a galaxy far, far away. He, do, he does not say this happened in Middle Earth. He does not say this happened in the heavenly realms of Roman mythology. He does not say in the collision between three kingdoms known as Star Trek, the following happened. He says very matter-of-factly, it happened in Bethlehem during that first great census when Augustus made everyone travel to their hometown to be registered, enrolled, and taxed. Luke is saying it's history. It's not mythology. It's not a cute story. It's reality. But we've called this point the historicity of Christmas. And, and by that we mean this. Not just did Luke claim that this was history, but does Luke's work show the signs of authenticity and integrity? In other words, is Luke lying when he claims to be writing history? I'll say it briefly for today. We've actually studied this extensively at other times. Historians and scholars have convincingly shown that if Luke was going to lie as he has been accused of doing. If Luke was going to lie like others from his time in order to grab power, if he was going to lie, his supposed eyewitnesses would have been radically different than those in our text. In other words, our text is going to record in verses 6 and 7 the actual birth of Jesus. A testimony that Luke most likely heard from Mary while traveling to Jerusalem with Paul. But also our text records the glorious announcement that the angels made to the shepherds in verses 10 through 12. Again, eyewitnesses. And we're going to talk about this more as the sermon unfolds, but for now just consider this. Neither Mary as a woman, nor the shepherds as a despised segment of society, neither could have served as a witness in the law courts of that day. And the point is this. If you're going to make up a lie and call it history based on eyewitnesses, would you put your story in the mouth of someone with cultural credibility? Or would you put your story in the mouth of someone so distrusted they're not allowed to even bear witness in court? If you're going to make up a story as hard to believe as the birth of God, would your mom be married to a well-known, trustworthy, powerful man? Or would your mom be a pregnant teenager, simply engaged to a no-name carpenter? 
Would you have your angels announce the birth to a school of philosophers or maybe some Roman governors? Or would you have it announced to the Jewish segment of society that nobody trusted? Luke is giving us history. First, this happened. It's not some fictional fable that should seasonally, around December, inspire our hearts. It's history that should radically and daily impact our lives. First, the historicity of Christmas. Second, the suffering at Christmas. So first, it really happened. God entered into the world as a baby. Second, it it stunk. Because it's Christmas, I didn't use another word. It was hard. It was painful. It was humiliating. Now think with me. Due to the images that we have seen in Christmas cards and children's books and nativity scenes, when we think of the birth of Jesus, verse 7, we tend to have this unrealistic, sanitized, romanticized, or idealized picture in our minds. In our minds, we see baby Jesus clean and sparkly and almost smiling, laying in the fluffy hay of the manger. It's as if he's on like the earliest version of a sleep number bed. But, but Luke paints the picture of dirt and discomfort. In our mind's eye, we see Joseph standing off to the side in peace and quiet, smoking his first cigar. But Luke wants us to see a man who is tired, fatigued, inconvenienced, rejected, and ashamed. We see Mary in her nicest outfit, peering into the manger, looking beautiful and fit as if the baby just popped out. And Luke tells us of a young woman, a world away from her family and her friends, isolated and all alone, experiencing the pain every woman felt and feels delivering her firstborn child. The suffering, the pain, and the hardship at Christmas. Look in your text. In verses 3 through 5, we see that the decree of Caesar Augustus sent Joseph and Mary from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. This was, uh, this was Joseph's ancestral home. But Luke says in verse 4 that they went up from Galilee. They actually went south 90 miles. But in the ancient Near East, up, it was not north like it is to us. Up was up. It was uphill, a 90-mile journey, uphill, pregnant. Luke reminds us in verse 5 that Mary was Joseph's betrothed who was with child, literally big with child, not something you want to say to a pregnant woman. Another way of saying verse 5 is this, Mary was Joseph's pregnant fiancée, a label in that role which would have heaped upon them incredible shame and ridicule. At the end of verse 7, we're told that there was no place for them in the inn. Inns at this time were crude lodging places for caravans of people. One commentator wrote, they were poorly kept haunts of ill-bred people. Inns were usually this two-story building made up of large rooms where, where the upstairs housed people and the downstairs housed animals. It's most reasonable to assume with the clues we have in all of scripture that the people upstairs were not willing to make room for Mary and Joseph. And so they rejected them. They forced them to stay downstairs with the animals feeding and drinking and doing what they do best. If you've seen Wreck-It Ralph, there's a duty joke in there. At the end of verse six, 
Luke writes that it came time for her to give birth. I have a question. How do you know when it's time to give birth? Among painful things, there are some messy things. I'm just trying to take our little happy idyllic scene and give it a little bit of reality. In verse 7, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. He's not a Coke coming out of a vending machine. He came into the world in the painful and messy way of every other baby. Luke really describes a really sad and lonely scene in verse 7. No mother, no mother-in-law, no midwife, no nurse. Mary delivered her own child. She swaddled her own child. She laid her own child in a wooden feeding trough. And there he lay, God in skin. In verse 11, the angel says to the shepherds, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Deliverer, a Hero, who is Christ, the Anointed One, Messiah, Christ the Lord, God Himself. God went through the trauma of being born. God spent his first hours of sleep in a trough that ordinarily housed food and animal saliva. God entered into the world, not in the context and setting of royalty and riches, but in the context of poverty, loneliness, rejection, isolation. He became so humble and so vulnerable, he needed a teenager to nurse him. A teenager to bind him with long strips of cloth so that his body would be kept warm and so that his limbs would not become dislocated. He needed a new teenager mom to make the best crib possible. And he needed his new dad to keep the animals away looking for food. At the start, Luke paints the picture of darkness, poverty, isolation, rejection, suffering, and shame. First, the historicity of Christmas. Second, the suffering at Christmas. Third, the good news from Christmas. Look at verse 8. Right after the loneliness, the darkness, the suffering of verse 7. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. So Luke is a brilliant writer, okay? He uses the phrase, and in the same region, verse 8, he uses the phrase, born this day, in verse 11. And Luke is telling us that the events are nearly simultaneous. These two events, nearly simultaneous, with unexpected and shocking details. On the one hand, in the first scene, the long-awaited, often prophesied Messiah, God himself, the King of Kings, has been born of a woman. The scene is dark, it is lonely, it is painful. On the other hand, in the second scene, at the very same time, we're told of shepherds. They're engulfed in bright light, they're living in reassuring community, they're experiencing eternal joy. This is the good news that flows from Christmas. Verse 8 tells us that there were shepherds out in the fields, literally abiding or living in the fields. They were mangy and dirty, soiled and smelly. But not only were the shepherds physically dirty, they were ceremonially unclean. They were unable to attend weekly worship with the community. They constantly lived with the disdain of the nation. Also, as one commentator puts it, shepherds were notorious for having the unfortunate habit of confusing thine 
with mine when it came to sheep. They were thieves. Thievery was considered part of the profession. And as such, they were not even allowed to bear witness in the court of law. And regardless of the character of these shepherds, it was two shepherds that God himself visited with his angelic host to announce the birth of Jesus. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So biblically, the glory of the Lord is a manifestation of God's presence. The glory of the Lord, in this case, was a bright light that surrounded the very presence of God. God was around them. End of verse 9. And they were filled with great fear. Megas phobos. Luke says literally they feared, verb, a huge fear, noun. He wants us to visualize them fearing a fear. Why, as the King James Version said, why were they sore afraid? This is the natural and repeated response in the Bible when rebellious sinners are in the presence of God. This is, how, this is how a human, this is how we, this is how a human who has lived their life as if they're God, this is how we react when we're in the presence of actual God. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. If you've been with us for all of Advent, you know this is the third time an angel shows up to a human with a message from God, and this is the third time that the human fears a great fear. And this is the third time the angel says, fear not. In other words, we are here with you in a posture of grace. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. Great joy, mega fear is replaced with mega joy. And this is why, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior a deliverer, a hero, who is Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, Christ the Lord, God himself. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now see this, don't miss it. Okay, Luke is bringing uh, these two nearly simultaneous scenes. He's bringing them together. He's saying to the shepherds, you're experiencing light and joy and community with God and with his angels because God became a baby and is in a manger experiencing darkness, pain, and isolation. Why were the shepherds blessed and not cursed by God's glorious and holy presence? Because God became a baby and after living a perfect life, he would be cursed for them in their place. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, thousands of the heavenly hosts, that's the word for army, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, that is in heaven, which is now on earth, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What an incredible irony, this heavenly army that is to fight for God's glory by crushing evil. That the army is now Christmas caroling uh, to evil people, pronouncing over them peace. And the question is why? Because at that very same time, God was a baby bound in long strips of cloth, bound tightly so that his limbs could not move. 
establishing a trajectory whereby in time Jesus would be bound and mocked, unjustly tried, and brutally beaten. In verse 14, the angels say, Peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. How can God be pleased with these shepherds? How how can God be pleased with us? Because at the very same time, God was a bound baby lying on wood, establishing a trajectory whereby in time he would be fixed to a wooden cross in order to die in our place. Jesus, the one with whom God was well pleased for living such a beautiful life, was cursed and killed for us. For the displeasure that we have caused God with our sin so that God can be pleased with us yet again. Don't miss the logic and the flow of this passage in this short sermon. The good news from Christmas. In history, verses 1 and 2, God in the context of pain, rejection, darkness, and isolation became a baby. Verse 7, so that sinners like you and me might go from mega fear to mega joy in his presence. Verses 9 and 10, mega joy. Verses 11 through 14, because you and I are given peace by the baby entering into a world and into a context that was anything but peaceful. Peace is this one word description of all that we have in Jesus and in the gospel. The the biblical word for peace is not just the lack of conflict. It's the utter flourishing in every relationship. This morning in Advent, we're celebrating the peace that we have in Jesus. We're celebrating that we have to a degree now, and we will have completely and utterly peace within, peace with one another, peace with all of nature. But Luke is telling us today that these are founded upon and these flow from the peace we have now with God. I want you to think about it like this. We have peace with God because at the very same moment, the the shepherds enjoyed this vignette of heaven. At that same moment, Jesus had begun his journey to hell to turn our great fear into great joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you entered uh, into our predicament. We praise you that you emptied yourself, that you humbled yourself, that you condescended in order to be condemned. We praise you that you left heaven to live, to die, and to rise again for us. We praise you, Jesus, in this little vignette of heaven outside Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, this little vignette of heaven. You were not there because you left heaven to become a baby boy, to live and die for the people of God. Holy Spirit, would you please give us the gift of peace? Would you give all who are here the gift of peace? Would you give us the gift of understanding? Would you give us the gift of faith? Would you give us the gift of joy? Would you lead us forward in community? Jesus, we praise you. May you be honored and glorified in this season. May we turn from every distraction and feast on you. In your name we pray. Amen.